goes quickly with it against Thompson. Fouled, counted, and won! Sign with the flex! What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate. Here today on Tuesday night, Zion Williamson, you might have heard him. He jumps pretty high. He's pretty strong. He's pretty fun to watch play basketball. He's an all-star for the first time in his career. Um, He was one of the last guys to make the cut in the Western Conference. He made it ahead of Mike Conley. He made it ahead of Devin Booker. He made it ahead of DeMar DeRozan, a couple of other guys. I thought it was well-deserved. Um, Jeff, I want to get your take on, on Zion, the all-star, what figures to be the first of many all-star selections for the 20 year old. He's 20, Jeff. He's 20 rated and he's, a, no, he's an all-star now. He's overrated. <laughs> okay. That's your, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, All right. That's Ex- my expand. hardline take. Zion's <laughs> not good at basketball. Give me Kelvin Johnson. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, this was, you know, there, there is an argument to be made that if, you know, Zion Williamson was named Wyon Zilliamson. If he wasn't Zion, he's not in the he's not in the All Star game this year. He he's just as deserving as a lot of guys who made it. And he, you know, he, there is another argument to made that he is exactly uh, where he should be. But I think that when it comes to Zion specifically, <laughs> you have to accept that there's going to be a level of star power when it comes to him in these situations. But that's what the All Star game is. Uh, so it's not it's not a negative thing. Uh, there's a reason Alex Caruso always ends up on the uh, top tw- uh, twenty votes getters in the All Star game. It's because markets matter, and <laughs> and the fact is the All Star game is pure entertainment, and you want the most entertaining players in there. So Zion's going to get in, and he deserves it because of the way he's played. Uh, and so if it was between him and somebody else uh, from a small market that just isn't as engaging, he's going to get it. Um, but that said. If you've watched him play this year, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you could even make a make a sensible argument that he isn't deserving of an All Star opportunity at 20 years old. Yeah. So NBA head coaches um, are the ones who decide on the All Star reserves. Um, I would love to get a look at the uh, the coaching um, results of that. Um, you know, we're, we we're never gonna know. You know, to what degree like the league uh, exerts a little influence, like. I'm not a huge conspiracy theory guy, but, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, you know, it was close and, and the league took a look at that and said, oh, Zion Williamson, you know, he needs to make it in. I mean, he's already, you know, one of our three, four, five biggest draws in terms of individual players, um, in the entire league. But I mean, I think, I think Zion had a, a really, really strong case. Um, I personally, you know, would have put on, put him on there if I had a vote and was the one who decided these things, the reserves. I mean, look, like, let's just, let's just look at his line. 25.1 points per game on 61.6% shooting. Two players have averaged 25 points per game on 60% shooting better in the entire history of the NBA. Kevin McHale in 1986, 1987, and Charles Barkley in 1989-90. That's the entire list. It's McHale, Barkley, and Zion Williamson. I mean, the the way he scores the basketball efficiently is just absolutely insane. I don't I don't think it fully computes for people just how efficient of a scorer he is. I mean, I, I just I don't think people truly understand. So so to be clear, you think 
you know, Adam Silver's calling up one of the coaches and being like, hey, man, I think you made a typo here. Yeah, you were trying to write Zion, but instead you wrote M-I-K-E. Uh, I don't think, I think you got it wrong. Let me fix it for you. Uh, but no, I, the, we're going to talk about the Celtics game a little later, but <laughs> that, the end of that game when the Pelicans needed a bucket and they just said, here's Zion, go get it. And he just, I think it was uh, Tristan Thompson that he just bowled through uh, for an end once. Like, that's how dominant he is as a scorer at this point in his career. That That's the offense you're going to run when you need a bucket. It's going to work. And there is only a handful of players in the NBA who you're confident to go to in that situation. And I want to say 90% of them would, would pull up for a shot. <laughs> you know, like it's a special type of player where you can say, go get it. And he's going in the paint and, uh, and he's that guy. And the, the luxury that gives you in an offense is, you know, it's hard to even quantify because it changes everything in terms of how the defense has to play. you. Um, and when, when you're a guy who is keeping coaches up at night, trying to figure out how they're going to defend you, that's all you really need to know about a player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the strongest arguments for Zion Williamson as an all-star. Just, you know, if you're a coach, um, how how worried are you about this guy just wrecking your defense and how much you have to game plan to stop this guy? And I think unquestionably, you know, Zion Williamson ranks ahead of, of Mike Conley, Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, in that category. I mean, obviously Zion's flaw right now is his defense. And I think overall that's been pretty bad, but I mean, offensively, it's just absolutely ridiculous. We talk about gravity, um, you know, in terms of outside shooting a lot, like gravity and outside shooting are commonly associated together. Like, Oh God, I don't want to leave Joe Harris when, you know, he's spotting up from behind the three point line. Cause I'm just going to get cooked over and over. Like I don't want to go help Zion Williamson has gravity as a driver of the basketball um, in a way that I don't even, I don't know if anybody else in the entire league does. I mean, you know, maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James, like those are the two guys you can lump in there. I'm, I'm not sure that you can lump in anybody else. That game in Memphis against the Grizzlies was one of the most fun games I've, I've seen him play so far in his very, very young career. He's only played 53 games. I mean, he's played... <laughs> He's played like nothing. Like if this was a regular 82-game season, 53, it's barely more than half of the season. But that Grizzlies game I thought was so, I mean, it was so interesting because you really saw the gravity as a driver there. Like the Grizzlies were panicking. They were sending like four guys to stop him. And it was like, I can throw it to this wide open spot-up shooter. I can throw it to this wide open spot-up shooter. Like he had he had options because they were terrified of him driving the basketball. And, you know, sometimes like even when he drove like they would have two in front of him and he just jumps around them and goes and finishes. Um, I mean, I, there's just, there's just nothing you can do against him as a driver of the basketball right now. Yeah. And, and go ask Drew holiday, whether defense gets you to the all-star game. It doesn't, I want buckets, baby. And, yeah. uh, and that's what we're after. I mean, James Harden hasn't played defense for like eight years and he's never missed an all-star game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if you had to kind of point to something where you're like, okay, we knew Zion was a scorer, you know, but, but that might not have gotten him to the All-Star game alone. If you want to look at something, I think the playmaking that he has displayed over the last two months or so yeah. uh, has been, to me, what has elevated him into, you know, a game, a more even more of a game record than he was. He's finding guys for open shots out of those double teams, triple teams even, in the paint. And that's what he has to do. Because he, as good as you are as a scorer, 
when when defenses are committing three guys to you, <laughs> you're it doesn't matter how good you are of a scorer, they're going to be able to stop you. Uh, and and he's but he has been finding guys, especially you know I keep mentioning the Celtics game, but you know he he made huge passes down the stretch of that game that I wasn't seeing earlier in the season. I wasn't seeing the the court awareness uh, outside of just. I'm getting there one way or the other. And and that's been impressive to me. You know, we've talked about point Zion, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's, I think it's even beyond that where it's, it's pressure moments rather than kind of just getting the play initiated. It's forcing the defense to react and then making the right decision. And that's what he's done in, in my eyes way more effectively. So I'm stealing this take from uh, our, our colleague, Scott Kushner, a little bit. Um, he tweeted this first. I can't take credit for it. He said that the single biggest development of the Pelican season is point Zion. Uh, I agree with him. Um, like the defense has been garbage. I mean, it, it, it like it literally could not be much worse. But I mean, I think over the long haul, that is fixable. Like, st- like just look at Stan Van Gundy's track record. Um, you know, it suggests that he they will be able to get this fixed. Maybe not this season, but but at some point when he's here, point Zion is is real and it's something that they can build off of. I mean, since the start of 2021, um, you know, pretty much two months now, the Pelicans are fourth in points scored per hundred possessions. I think a, a lot of that is tied to them just saying, all right, we're like, we're just going to give Zion the ball in the middle of the floor and let our, our best offensive player. I mean, maybe the most explosive player in the entire league just create, um, you know, obviously he could score the ball, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's a lot as a playmaker there, and I think there's a lot we haven't even seen yet. I mean, you know, when he has five assists or more, he's done that six times a season. The Pelicans are undefeated. I mean, I, I just, I just think he knows how to play the game. I mean, Nicole Melli, you know, said as much today. Like Nicole Melli, he, like he's really struggled, but he's a smart basketball player. Like he was a part of a lot of winning teams in Europe. It hasn't really worked out over here, but like. He, he knows the game. Like, you know, I, I don't think what, what Melly said today was like empty calories, just like false praise. Like Zion Williamson can really think the game. Um, and I think that's part of what's so exciting. Like there, there is really something here with, with the point Zion thing. Yeah. And, and I've said this so many times, but when it comes to Zion, you just want to see the improvement. You want to see the steady growth in his game. And, I think when you're looking at the trajectory of a young player, it's hard, you know, you can, you can point to flaws. You can always find flaws and defense is a clear flaw right now. Uh, But what you don't want to see is kind of a stagnant progression in that development. And I don't think you have, he's actually been more aggressive taking threes lately. You know, it seems like he takes one a game and if it goes in, he takes another one, Uh, (laughs) which I can't fault that approach. Um, He seems to be getting less hesitant, you know? And so, you see the you see the subtle the subtle inclusions of, of elements into his game throughout the course of a season and free throws, yeah, free throws. You know, he has. It seems like he has like one stretch every game where he forgets how hard he has to throw it. But yeah, I mean, when I watch a guy take free throws, I don't necessarily watch how many go in. I watch how the ball reacts off the rim. If if you make eight in a row, but then your ninth one is just a brick, it's a sign that you don't have touch around the basket. And that's not what I see with Zion. Actually, Jackson Hayes is another guy who I think has a solid free throw stroke, and you can see it getting better. Uh, Zion, when he misses, 
a lot of times it's bouncing around on the rim, and that's a good sign. It's a good soft touch. And I think <laughs> there's so little to criticize on the offensive side. It's really tough to find to poke holes in it. Yeah, uh, there are there are a lot of like uh, very clean makes lately, and you know, like I think he's at seventy two percent right now from the line. I mean, him. I think him just getting to you know seventy five anywhere from seventy five to eighty percent, you know, as his career progresses, that would be a huge win because we know he's going to get fouled a lot. Uh, he's already taken a bunch of free throws, and I feel, I think the Pelicans feel like he should be taking even more. I actually think there is some validity to that. I think referees don't know what to do with him because he's, he is just so freaking big and strong and he doesn't flop. He doesn't have any European soccer player in him, which uh, is a little <laughs> bit of a shame. Um, we got to, we got to get him some flopping lessons uh, this, this off season actually, because he's going to, he's going to need that during play playoff time. They should just cut up like an hour long reel of LeBron James being like, you know, just going, ah, and like throwing his hands up in the air and show that design. Right. Um, he needs to learn that, that like head, head, like juke. Yep. Uh, like if he, like he just played Kemba Walker the other day, probably the best in the NBA at the slightest bit of contact, his head flies back. Like, <laughs> like he just hit the brakes on his car <laughs> and the, the refs go for it. For whatever reason, they see that like head fly back and they're like, whoa, he must be getting attacked. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I am not exaggerating when I think that's when I say that I think Zion gets fouled on 90% of the plays he takes to the basket. They're just not called a lot of time because you can't call foul on 90% of the possessions he takes the ball to the basket. But there is, you know, by the by the letter of the rule, when you look at like what's supposed to be a foul, you know, you'll watch you'll watch people get away with things that they don't get away with on guys like Devin Booker, guys like John Morant. And if you've ever watched a Pelicans broadcast and You'll you'll know Antonio Daniels is is very vocal about that about that exact topic, and he and he's right. You know, it's like if you're gonna call this a foul, it's got to be a foul all the way around, not just because the guy you're hitting is a hundred pounds lighter than you. Um, and and I don't, yeah, it's it's tough, but Zion doesn't do himself any favors in those situations, and and he does need to get a little better at understanding how to draw fouls. Um, but He's still getting to the line. You know, I, I, I shudder to think how long Pelicans games will be uh, when he does learn how to sell a foul because he might be taking 20 free throws a game. Yeah. Um, you brought up this stat. This was the the ninth straight year the Pelicans have had an all-star. Did eighth. I get that correct? Eighth. Oh, this was the eighth. Yeah. They had seven going in. Uh, they were tied with the Raptors, and they were behind the Thunder, who had eleven. And the um, Rockets, who had nine, all three of those teams did not get in All Star this year. So the Pelicans currently have the longest active streak of seasons with at least one All Star. That's pretty wild. Um, of course, Brandon Ingram was the Pelicans' representative in the All Star game last year. He did not make the All Star game this year. Um, I mean, I think with the Pelicans' record, 13-17, and 17, 11th place in the Western Conference, I mean, they were only going to get one guy and, you know, maybe not even one guy. I mean, you just you just don't, don't get multiple guys make the All-Star game when you're in 11th place in your conference. I mean, I don't care how big the names are. I mean, I think Zion Williamson was obviously more deserving. I did think it was interesting that if you looked at that player vote um, – the players actually had Brandon Ingram uh, a little bit ahead of Zion Williamson, and, and I thought that it was interesting. Do you have any theories why 
uh, the players felt the way they did? Well, I mean, just look at the numbers. You know, if, if Brandon Ingram was an all-star last year, and he's improved in basically every statistical metric year over year, he's you know viable to be an all-star again this year. But that's not, like I said before, this is a, more of a star power thing, and it's, there's more to it than, okay, this is the best player. Um, when you're, like you said, when you're a, a sub-500 basketball team and you already have a player in there, you're not going to get a second guy. Um, so I think Brandon Ingram suffered more from this, the kind of factors in play outside of basketball than the actual performance did. And the fact that the team isn't good, if they were, you know, if there were two games over 500, I think there's a chance that he gets in there. Um, and like I pointed out before, you know, I was surprised to see him as high as he was in the fan vote because, you know, the Pelicans play in the second smallest market, I want to say, behind Memphis. So, you know, when you talk, when you talk, look at those votes, it's usually going to be market size that, that distributes those votes. That's why Alex Caruso shows up in there. So I don't know if maybe there's some uh, L.A. holdover where uh, they're, still, they're still plugging for those guys. But, you know, he's up there. You know, there's only 10 guys listed there, and he's, he's among those guys. So, you know, whether he was a realistic candidate to get in there, whether he's going to be an option when they look at a re- injury replacement for Anthony Davis, uh, I don't think that the basketball that he's been playing is the reason he's not in there. Yeah, I think he still has a lot of juice from his Lakers days. I mean, Brandon Ingram is is really famous. Like, I don't I don't know the exact follower count on Instagram, but it's in the millions. I mean, he has like a he has a huge following. I think a lot of that comes from his time with the Lakers. My uh, the two things I'll say on why Brandon might have been ahead of Zion in the player voting is um, my theory number one is maybe a little Zion jealousy. <laughs> like, like I think players might be thinking like the Pelicans are on national TV 30 times a game and they haven't won anything. What the hell? Like, you know, I think there might be that element to it. And the other thing too, is I think players respect a certain type of player. And I think often that player is like the big long guy who can like make really tough mid range shots against you. Like, I think that type of guy makes other players feel helpless. Like they can't do anything against that type of guy. And obviously that's, that's like the player Brandon Ingram is. I mean, Zion Williamson is a tough shot maker, but not in the way I think a lot of people think about tough shot makers. He's a tough shot maker from 40 feet and in Brandon Ingram is a tough shot maker from uh, all over the floor. So those are, those are my two theories. Brandon Ingram has sauce. Yeah. That's what Brandon Ingram has. It's the same reason Kyrie Irving gets the same, love in those in those player votes because you see this guy play and it he plays in a way that other players are gonna be like damn yeah uh, and like the things he does get you excited to watch basketball uh like I remember you know when Kyrie Irving was on the Celtics I watched a lot of Celtics games and I at least twice a game I was sitting there watching and just started giggling like like a child like it's just like because <laughs> he just does stuff that you're just like damn and and I think that's that's the factor that kind of elevates him above Zion in in the, you know, fantasy basketball world of, okay, we're voting for this meaningless thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think he ranks really high in the, oh, damn, that shot was tough, uh, yeah. that meter or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about the 24-point com- comeback win against the Boston Celtics. I got to be honest here. I was throwing dirt on the grave. I mean, I was, 
yeah, I was I was getting some takes off when when the Pelicans were getting killed because they had just played two nights earlier. I mean, probably the worst quarter of basketball I'd ever seen an NBA team play. They got outscored forty-one to twelve against the Suns. I mean, I I expected them to come out with some fight from from Jump Street against Boston after just getting like frankly embarrassed and just demolished and just wiped off the court and. They didn't come out looking that energized. I mean, I think they were like mostly what the issue was. They were sloppy. I think they had 10 turnovers in the first half. Um, that was probably a bigger issue than their effort. But I, I was expecting them to come out and play well, and they didn't. But, man, did they get figured out. I mean, coming back from 24 points is is nuts. That That doesn't happen a whole lot. It's never happened for the Pelicans, the biggest comeback in franchise history. And uh, yeah, and I've seen them make comebacks like that before. They've never finished them off. Uh, the Suns game last year, I want to say they were down big in the second half and they came back and forced overtime and lost. Um, and yeah, the, the, <laughs> the only thing that happened well for the Pelicans in the first half of that game is they played badly because for whatever reason, so far this season, when the Pelicans start games well, they finish horribly and vice versa. Uh, the They've had multiple games where they've scored 40 points in the first quarter and lost by double digits. Uh, and this time it went the other way. I will say that, you know, if you had to pick a couple MVPs from that game for the Pelicans, one of them would be Kemba Walker because he is not right, man. One of my favorite players of all time cannot shoot right now and and the best play the Pelicans had on defense was leave Kemba open because he was just breaking it and it takes a little bit from both sides to erase a 24 point deficit you're not going to just do it on offense you need a you need a bit of a hand from the other team and the Celtics more than obliged um you know you look at teams that are struggling you have the Celtics playing the Mavericks literally right now uh the Celtics are struggling as much as anybody in the NBA they are in trouble uh, and and that game was more indicative of the issues they're having. Honestly, if I had to if I had to pick a side, than than the Pelicans uh, improving because you don't want to end up twenty four points down. But I think the fight that they showed to get back is is in and of itself a good quality. Um, but there 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 are just so many things to uh, take away from that fourth quarter. Um, but. It's hard to it's hard to not give uh, Melie a rah for his three point performance that was so much more impactful than it looks like in the box score. Yeah, um, uh, one for seven in the box score. Yeah, yeah. If I looked at the box score, I would think, "Damn, why did he get so many minutes?" <laughs> but when you watch that game, he he was the energizer. Whether he was whether he was scoring or not, he was the guy who made the car go. Uh, it was like he, it was like he went out with jumper cables midway through the third quarter, and I think that there's clear evidence that Stan Van Gundy felt the same way because I think he played the entire fourth quarter in overtime in that game. Yeah, so the the lineup that that Stan used, you know, pretty much the entire way in the fourth quarter, and then uh, primarily in overtime too, it was Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Nicole O'Malley. Um, I agree that that. I think the energy changed a little bit with Melly in there, and I think with Josh Hart in there too. Um, I thought Lonzo and Josh Hart were phenomenal defensively in this game. Like it was, it was just fun watching those guys get up into people and flying around. Um, Nicolo Melly is not the most fleet of foot guy, 
but I thought he did a really nice job of just like getting out on the pick and roll and, and doing what he could. He hedged, and, which has been yeah. something I've been begging the Pelicans to do all season. It's just make the guy go where he doesn't want to go. And that's what they did to Jason Tatum yeah. in the second, in, in, in the, you know, not even the beginning of the third quarter, like midway through the third quarter and into the fourth quarter is they pushed him off his spot. Uh, and Melly, there was one play Melly literally chased him <laughs> almost out of bounds. Uh, and sorry, I interrupted you, but yeah, it, no. it's, yeah, it's the, the defense they played in the second half was more indicative of what you need to play to win games. And then I think the other thing we saw late in this game was Stan Van Gundy finally gave the ball to Zion Williamson at like the top of the key and just said, create during crunch time, which frankly, I don't want to sound like too critical, but thank God. I mean, I think everybody watching the end of that Trailblazers game was like, all right, we need to get the ball to Zion Williamson right now. I mean, he, you know, that game against Portland, he had 36, tied his career high. I mean, so what if he missed one shot? Like, you you just have to let him try to win the game, and they go to this pick and roll with Brandon Inger was the ball handler and Zion was the roller. So, like, he was involved in the action, but, like, you know, Zion never touched it. Um, it just, it just didn't make much sense, and it, it seemed like a mistake in the moment. And I'm just glad they they gave Zion the ball down the stretch in this game. I mean, things opened up a little bit with Melly on there. Like you said, he didn't hit a whole lot of threes, but at least he was willing to take them, and he made he made it one of them. Um, you know, when it mattered a lot. But I mean, I, I Zion thought Zion, assist. yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a Zion assist. I mean, you know. The one play at the end of regulation, Zion just completely suns, overpowers six foot nine, two hundred and fifty Tristan Thompson, like just knocked him over like a rag doll. Um, and then the play in overtime, uh, he drives, kicks the ball to Brandon Ingram um, for the catch and shoot three. Like that to me is winning basketball. That's that's a recipe for success for the Pelicans late in close games. Like, yeah, let Zion drive the ball going to his left and have Brandon Ingram spotting up on that same side. So Brandon Ingram's guy goes over to help, boom, kick it to you know arguably your best three point catch and shooter, catch and shoot, catch Threat. and shoot three point Threat. shooter, <laughs> or catch and shooter, or <laughs> let Zion Williamson get all the way to the rim. Thank you. I'm I'm glad we saw that. <laughs> right, and and that's the that's the part of Brandon Ingram's offense that has been non existent to this point in the season is. You know, just the fact that Zion is on the floor should allow for easy shots for Brandon Ingram. Like, when he's drawing three guys into the paint, there should be opportunities for him, and you just haven't seen enough of that. Um, and that moment in overtime where he, he kicked it out and Brandon Ingram didn't have anyone within 20 feet of him, uh, you know, that's makes life a lot easier for Brandon Ingram. <laughs> the fact that, you know, when, when you look at how he plays and we talked about how, you know, other NBA players respect him, the the degree of difficulty on a lot of his shots are incredibly high. And and I think that gets you credit among NBA players because they recognize how difficult the shots you're hitting actually are because they actually have to go out there and try to make them too. Uh, but I think that he would benefit greatly from a much easier uh, slate of opportunities throughout the game, like that shot. And, and as you see Zion creating more and more, that's something that can happen. Um, Josh Hart, like you mentioned... <laughs> He deserves like, like an honorary like medal for just taking it in the chest 
over and over again. You know, without Drew Holiday, you lose that guy who's just going to get, who's okay with getting beat up, who's okay with taking on a matchup that he knows he's going to lose uh, just so he can win it a couple times and help you on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what Josh Hart did against Jason Tatum. Uh, and <laughs> I felt bad for him a couple times throughout that game because that's not an easy matchup for him. He's way undersized in that matchup. He's the same guy who's going to have to go against LeBron. He's the same guy who's going to have to try to match up uh, with with wings all over the place. And he does it, and he doesn't complain about it. And he does it about as well as you can for an undersized two or an undersized wing, whatever you want to call him. I think as a two, he's got average size. Um, but yeah, he's if he could hit a corner three, I tweeted this throughout the game, if he could hit a corner three, I think he'd be making $15, 18000000 million with the skill set that he has. Because every team wants that guy. You know, I talked about how the Celtics seem broken right now. A big part of that is because they don't have Marcus Smart, who is that exact guy. He's a guy who gets in your face, makes your life miserable. Uh, and and I think that's who Josh Hart is. Um, and he's when you make a comeback like that, it's always going to be on the back of a, of a guy like a Josh Hart, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Stan has talked a lot about defensive disposition. That's kind of one of his uh, crutch phrases about what the Pelicans – you know, need to bring into the game. Uh, well, Josh Hart is a guy with a defensive disposition. I mean, if, if nothing else, you know he's going to give you energy and effort. Um, I mean, he was he was great down the stretch. And, he, I mean, he's just a fun guy to watch, man. I mean, I, I just like watching him play basketball, even if the three-point shooting is frustrating at times. And you're like, oh, God, like you, you made – you, like, shot the ball well last game. I don't even – I don't understand why you're passing them up. Like, just take it. Just take it. <laughs> Don't pass it up. I was in the crowd for that that game, and uh, <laughs> at one point he was at the free throw line, and someone yelled, "You play Fortnite," and he missed. And I was like, <laughs> "Good burn." <laughs> I feel like eighty percent of these guys play Fortnite. Like the like the way to roast them might be like, "You don't play Fortnite, you freaking nerd. <laughs> You're bad it's at like, Fortnite." Yeah. Yeah. Uh. But did okay. So this this actually got uh, a good amount of traction on my Twitter feed. Did you hear the uh, refs you suck chant? Because it was quite loud after JJ Reddick got ejected. I did, man. It was there was some energy in there for uh, I don't know two thousand fans or, so. or whatever it was. Well, I'll tell you what. It's, it was loud enough that uh, I can't remember his name. I won't call him out. But uh, and I want to say Sports Illustrated, a national writer went and tweeted that, man, the Pelicans game ops crew just threw on a ref's huge luck chant. Next time, let's just record some F-bombs and throw them out there. He thought it was so loud that he thought that there was no way the fans in the stands were making that noise because he could hear it on the broadcast. <laughs> and I, was, and I, I think I responded, I was like, no, I can confirm that, you know, a few hundred uh, Pelicans fans can sound like several thousand when they're berating the officiating. Because uh, it was loud. I was stunned. Uh, it was only slightly more stunning than a ref ejecting a guy for spinning a ball to him. The fans in the city are are ready for a winner, man. I mean, if they if you just give them something, then I, I feel like I mean, I feel like this can really catch on here. I mean, I, I can just tell like we're at this moment where it's like, you know, if you just give them something like it, it could, you know, we could see basketball like and and its impact here just just be a lot different than it has been Um but we don't need to go down that road. Can we uh can we talk about Brandon Ingram real quick? Because um I got a I don't know I I, I don't know why m- my takes were were coming out spicy in the first half. But you know I I let one go and I was and I said that uh, in the first half when they're getting killed, the easiest way for this to get better is for the Pelicans max player to to play like a max player. 
Um, and it, it kind of like ruffled some feathers. Um, I, I, I wanted to like just try to better explain what I, what I was thinking about Brandon Ingram and what I've thought about his season so far. Um, like I'm, I'm a fan of Brandon Ingram, the basketball player. I'm a fan of Brandon Ingram, the person. I think he like cares about the right things. I think like his, his talent is, is so, is like almost unlimited. I guess I've been slightly disappointed that he mostly, he, to me, he mostly seems like the same player as last year, which is a very good player. But like, to me, there are still times when he's a ball stopper and, and times when he keeps the ball moving. I think the defense still leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and I, I think that when things are going well, um, you know, a lot of the time, you know, he kind of reverts to some bad habits. Obviously, he didn't do that Sunday. He stepped up in a huge way, some clutch, clutch shots, which was great to see. But I guess I guess where I'm coming from is that I thought there was going to be a step up this year. I mean, especially with that new contract. And I, I don't think I've seen that step up consistently enough. And, you know, people's rebuttal is, well, he's he's still only 23 years old. And, and like, I agree, everyone develops at their own pace. But also, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're 22 and 24. And they play both ends every night. So, on one hand, I agree with you that, like, there's plenty of room to grow. And look at Zach Levine. You know, he's 27 is having a career year. But on the other hand, there are guys his age who who play both ends every night. Uh, why can't he? Yeah, and I think when you when you sign a guy to a max deal, you're kind of betting on the future, right? You're you're betting on he's he's going to elevate us over a long period of time. Um, we're not paying you for the guy you are now. We're paying you for what we expect out of this team for the next five years, whatever. Uh, and and part of that is consistency, and part of that is winning basketball um and that's not necessarily winning games to me that's more just playing winning basketball you can play winning basketball and still lose but when you're a max guy and you are losing while playing losing basketball that's a problem uh and i think your tweet likely came out of you know doubled frustration from watching just that horror show of a fourth quarter against the suns uh and then feeding into the first half where it's like you, you need to have some pride here. You need to come out and show that uh, 41 to 12 or whatever it was isn't this season. Um, and and, that, and that's, where, that's where there's been a disconnect. You haven't seen that enough. Um, and, you know, hopefully this, this Celtics comeback is a sign that, you know, they're ready to take that next step and win some tough games. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's, you know, overcritical to say, you pay a guy on a max deal and you, the team is just not playing consistently. I don't think that's overly critical to say he's not living up to that deal right now. Um, but it, there's a lot of time. He's not going anywhere. So it's a lot of time for him to reach that, uh, that peak. But yeah, I mean, like I said, statistically, everything's where it should be, right? You know, 23 points, five rebounds, five assists, 40% from three, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's those moments, those spans throughout games that he finds a way to disappear and is not making that impact when you need that winning time. Like mean, the Suns game is, is still fresh in my mind, but it's probably the best example at this point of like, they were up what double digits going into the fourth quarter, score 12 points. <laughs> I mean, what? How's that even possible with, uh, with guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram on the floor and it shouldn't be. So yeah, I mean, uh, as much as as much as I appreciate how good of a basketball player Brandon Ingram is, there is there is a lot more to it than that. 
Yeah. Um, one, one thing I'll specifically say is I love seeing him get to the rim in overtime there. Um, I think that's, you know, something that he probably hasn't done enough at times. And look, I know that he's also playing with Zion Williamson and, and Steven Adams. Um, you know, the spacing probably isn't the cleanest of any team in the NBA, but like just go on cleaning, cleaning the glass or wherever. And like, look at his percent of shots that have come at the rim in his career. Um, you know, they've, they've fallen a lot since those Lakers days. I mean, the, the three point shot, like he's taking more of them from there, but I think there are just times when he, when he settles for those really tough mid range jumpers, um, you know, a little bit too much. So it was, it was great to see him get all the way to the rim there in overtime. And man, he was, he was fantastic down the stretch and it was good to see. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see how he and Zion, you know, continue to work in tandem. I mean, if you're a fan of the Pelicans, you just had to be thrilled seeing that play in overtime where Zion drove, kicked it to BI and he hit that, hit that three from the left wing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I've got from that Celtics game. Yeah. And what, I mean, we didn't even talk about this in the, in the span of Zion, but I think the most impressive part of the game for him, he was awful for the first three quarters of that game. It was probably, you know, in the bottom five games that he's played, he's only played 53, but it was down toward the bottom and he finished with what, 28 and 10, you know, he had a double, double and, I thought that was the most impressive thing is he played, he was playing badly. He was not having a game. Daniel Tice was beating him up, uh, which is not something you expect to say, but, and and he bounced back and he found ways to, to impact the game uh, despite that. And I thought that was very impressive. Um, You know, you look at the, you look at the standings as they are as tough as the beginning of this season has been They're one through 10 have a chance to make the playoffs this year. Pelicans are a game and a half out of that. And it is the Memphis Grizzlies who, if they played 50 times, would win 49 of them. Uh, so, <laughs> so like, there's a long way to go. There's there's a long way to go up, and there's a long way to go down. Uh, so, you know, I think the next span of games heading into the all-star break and then kind of, uh, you know, black hole of what the second half of the season is going to look like because uh, there isn't a schedule right now. I think this is going to be a huge, a huge stretch to – in terms of just setting yourself up for that second half. Yeah. I, I feel like I cover the NBA's most confusing team in the most confusing season in, in a long, long time. It's hard to, it's honestly like hard to make sense of what I'm seeing on, on, on a night to night basis. Um, I mean, they blew, you know, two double digit second half leads and then turn around and, and come back from 24 down. It's all over the place, baby. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the trade deadline. This this last portion portion of the show, it is about a month away. It's coming up on March 25th. Um, yesterday, Monday, the Pelicans waived Sindarius Thornwell. Um, the rest of his deal would have guaranteed Wednesday. Um, it allows them to creep a little bit further under the luxury tax line. It also got them down to 13 rostered guys, not including the two way t- two way guys. They're allowed to have 15. Essentially, if they do make a trade, uh, they can take back in two more guys than they send out. Um, I think you know they would also like be in line to like pick up a buyout guy um, if that were to come up. Um, I definitely expect them to be active in some form or fashion at the trade deadline. Um, I would be very surprised if if JJ Redick finishes the season with the Pelicans, um, and I think the other guy to look at is, is obviously Lonzo Ball. 
Um, his name's been trade rumors for a while now. I think that's I think that's gotten a little more interesting with how Alonzo has played over the past month. I mean, he's played pretty good, and I, I think he's he's raised his value. Um, the three point shot, he I mean he was just awful at the beginning of the year. I mean, look at that thing now. He's up to like thirty eight percent on on really high volume. Um, I I am going to be really interested to see what Lonzo what happens with with Lonzo Ball because he's been inconsistent but I I think he's still a very useful NBA player yeah if you uh if you have Lonzo Ball's NBA top shot moment one of them uh I think the value has gone up over the past few weeks I think uh that he has played much much better and um he actually hit free throws against the Celtics. Uh, a couple of clutch free throws. I was impressed. I was uh, I was sitting in the stands like, oh no, because uh, Melly. Uh, you know, one of the things Melly did was he kept pushing the ball down the floor. Well, unfortunately, he kept pushing it down to Lonzo Ball and throwing it a little too far to the sideline. So Lonzo ended up getting fouled and going to the free throw line. I think it happened twice, and both times I was like, oh no, he already hit two. He's not going to hit this one, and he did. And it, uh, you know, I was impressed. It uh, it bucked the trend. But you know, when you look at okay. This is a guy who the Pelicans were going to have a very difficult time trading, even if they wanted to, because the value you were going to get back was not going to be representative of the guy that you would benefit from having. You know, the, he had played very poorly <laughs> to begin the season, and there's just no, to a certain extent, there's no point in trading someone if you're not getting a return. Uh, so if they are looking to trade him, you know, this is the time that you would start calling people when you look at those threes going down. Um, I think he had 12 assists against the Suns. I think he had 10 in early in the third quarter before the offense just completely fell off a cliff. Um, and defensively, you know he's always going to be there. He's Despite the Pelicans having a very um, underserved defensive roster, I think he is a bright spot on that front. You, know, you watch the action, you watch him fight over screens and just impact uh, the ball handler. And and it's, it's impressive when he's getting a little assistance in the rotations. Um, but yeah, I think... For both the Pelicans and for Lonzo Ball, the player, just as a person, I think the last few weeks have to have been a huge weight off because um, he's played he's played probably as as well as anybody on the roster uh, over the last you know two three weeks. Yeah, I mean he's like getting to the free throw line now too. Um, I mean at least more than he has. Uh, I think he's taken like I don't know twenty two twenty three free throws in February, um, something like that. Um, we're seeing an increased willingness aggression to drive to the rim which is something I've been talking about since even the start of last season so that's been great to see I mean, he's just been a lot better since he sat down for those three games with what they said was bilateral knee tendinopathy um, he's looked a lot better um, confidence is is just back up I mean he, he looks like a different player for me and I mean, that, that three-point shot, he's doing it for the second straight year. Um, I, I mean, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit uh, for just changing his form. That's It's not an easy thing to do when you've gone through 22, 23 years of life and you're shooting it from one side of your body, and then you you know just decide, like, I need to be shooting it from the other side of my body, the correct side of my body. Um, it's, it's not easy to do, and, and he did it, so... Kudos to him, man. I wish I just wish we could have seen more minutes with like Lonzo Ball next to a different guard than Eric Bledsoe, um, mm-hmm. because I think like Lonzo is, I think you know Lonzo has like been good, but I think you know the problem with that backcourt is that there just isn't enough like dynamicism offensively, um, 
and I mean, Bledsoe has been pretty disappointing on the defensive end too, man. I mean, I don't know what's what's going on with him, but the uh, the effort, I think it it comes and it goes. I would have I would have loved to see a lot more minutes with like Alonzo and and Kyrie Lewis Jr. I think guys that uh, complement each other a little bit better, and Kyrie just like frankly plays harder than than Eric Bledsoe game in and game out. Here here's a bizarre stat for you: Lonzo Ball, month of February. 82.8% from the free throw line, right? That's pretty good. Entire month. It's like, so I decided to go look back and say, oh, when's the ne- the next closest month uh, to that? Well, if you go back to February of last year, 83% from the free throw line. This is like a, he's like a career, uh, what? Right around 50, 52% free throw shooter, but in the month of February, he's a star 80 percent um so i don't know maybe maybe there's something to that but yeah i mean 82 percent. if you're getting 82 percent from the free throw line that's a that's a pretty good reason to be a little more aggressive and to be a little more comfortable driving uh he still hasn't shot a ton of them but you know he's uh six for eight over the last two games and you know there's no like tangible reason why he should be a 50 percent free throw shooter it's all confidence um, and so I think that's, that's all you need to see there from him is just being more confident and being more aggressive. And, uh, it's, a, it's going to come whether it's with the Pelicans or not. I think, you know, there's a reason people like Lonzo ball and it's cause he's a very good basketball player and he's uh, also a very good personality. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. One of the things that Lonzo said after practice, uh, today about the offense, which has been, you know, really, really good for going on two months now, was we're just playing with a lot more pace, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that as well. Um, you know, it's not only up and down; it's side to side. But turnovers are down with this team. Um, I mean, I think the ball movement is just a lot better. I mean, I think the Pelicans have kind of figured out who they've gotten closer to figuring out kind of who they're supposed to be. I mean, they, they have to be a team that, that plays with a little pace, but, uh, all that said, they're probably about to change again. So, uh, they're probably about to be a different team even in, in a month. And then we'll see what happens, you know, in this off season, all that it's, it's never boring, Jeff. It's never yeah. boring. Even if they're, uh, you know, not a very good team right now. I mean, Hey, hey here's the thing. There are two games this season. I'm sorry, they're four games under 500 right now. If two of those games are the Pacers lost, they led by six points in the final 30 seconds, and that Blazers game that they probably should have won. Uh, they win those two games, they're a 500 basketball team right now. Uh, and I think that there's a this team has a lot that they can prove throughout the course of this season. Keep giving the ball to Zion Williamson late in close <laughs> games. That's my, that's my take. Um, Things will get better. <laughs> yep, that's, that's my take. Um, well, cool, man. This was fun. Uh, we will we will talk again. Uh, we might even talk two times before Zion Williamson actually plays in the All Star game. Whew. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he'll probably make a few of them. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that Zion Williamson will make more than one All Star game in his career. Yeah. Hey, so youngest ever MVP in an All Star game, 21 years old, LeBron James. I'm saying there's a chance. Ooh. Could happen. It could happen. Zion is uh oh he he's not like a like you got to be 
a ball handler. I mean, he's kind of a ball handler, and we've seen him more as a ball handler. But like he, his game's kind of built for the All Star game, man. Points Zion. I mean, you can't stop him from scoring at will when you're playing defense. <laughs> like throw some All Star game defense in there. He's gonna put those shoulders in, and no one's gonna be there to take him. He's just gonna, like he, this could be an Anthony Davis fifty uh, in New Orleans type type experience because all they gotta do is throw him lobs. He's yeah. just gonna go. He's just gonna run wide and go up for lobs. And if he gets the minutes, he could be he could win MVP because he's gonna have highlight after highlight after highlight. Anyway, I digress. He tilted the backboard in the rookie sophomore game and he caused a delay in the game. Pray for the backboards at All Star <laughs> Weekend. Pray for them. That's it. All right, guys. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.